games. Would you make a we have a bobsled team? Have you seen that one? Uh, are you into tennis? Uh, no. No? Like into it? Yeah, like Phil and I were watching the U.S. Open. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what I appreciate about tennis is that it's like a fighting game. One on one, fucking, you're parrying, you're fucking throwing jabs, you're doing all that shit. Well, I mean, they definitely make noises like fighters, ah! mm-hmm. <laughs> like borderline orgasm noises. Kind of like it. It's I like, hot. I like how they give like the really strong hits, like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> and then a little hit, they're like, huh. <laughs> it's, it's definitely like Ken and Ryu, I guess. Mm-hmm. What they should do is fake them out with a long, like, ha, when they, like, just tink it. Like, that'd be a good fake Just pop out. it right over the net. Did you did you get to the Street Fighter one of, uh, of uh, uh, Game Over? No. I, really? I, I fell down that goddamn it. Golden Girls kick, brother. Mm, well, did they not play video games on there? The goal, Yeah, well, <laughs> actually, in the episode I just watched today, season five, okay. end of season five, uh, Stanley gives Sophia a Game Boy uh, because he's rich now. He's oh he his researchers have decided that the Japanese don't actually like rice, but they burn their fingers when they try to eat potatoes. So now Stanley's going to market potatoes to the Japanese as their new staple carb. Okay. Yeah. Sounds a little outdated. Yeah, and she and Sophia gets a Game Boy, and guess what? It's a big old brick Game Boy because the Gray it, Boys. Oh yeah, the Gray Boys. Okay. Hmm. Everybody had one of those, right? I think so. I think so. They're good. They're good. Not as good as. Colored ones, but is the black and white screen? Well, it was like black and green, mm-hmm. kind of, yeah. right? Like I don't know what the green was about. I remember I played Pokemon. Was it red on yours? Yeah. That's the first time I ever played a Game Boy. Definitely. The uh, uh, the speed run I was wa- or I watched, where it's like the two guys and they only level one of them leveled Charizard, one of them leveled Blastoise, right? Mm. Charizard was just getting wrecked. Really? Yeah, he was a. He's just getting his ass kicked. The guy just had to give up because he lost so bad in the race. Well, oh, it was a, it the marathon, ADDQ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just like they pull the the Pokemon out quickly, buff it with like X special and everything a million times, and hope they don't die. Yeah, and then attack. Then so it's like a slot machine. Then yeah, <laughs> if they if any of their attacks miss, yeah, or like they don't kill it in one hit, then they're basically game over. RNG. Yeah, I don't know if I like that. No, that sounds. I mean, that's gambling, but for no money. Okay, so I don't know. Can we clear this up? Sure. Uh, Phil and I were talking about King's Quest. Was that you who plays that game? Uh, no, I I've played the I've played a couple of them, but yeah, those are old Sierra adventure games. Okay, I thought he was playing them. And then I was like, maybe it was you who was playing him. I don't know who Crusader was playing Kings. Him. Crusader Kings. It's, I think it was King's Quest. Nobody is playing King's Quest. Those are Sierra <laughs> t- point-and-click adventure games, man. They have Age of Empires. That's one of his favorite games. That's also and- not a point-and-click adventure. Sierra makes Empire Earth. That's Empire the game. Empire Earth. Earth. That's oh. what it no, is. Empire Earth is the game that I play. Yes. Mm. I always get Age of Empires and Empire Earth mi- mixed mm. up. And that, that makes sense, actually. Mm. Are you going to, you should introduce Arizona Jordan. <laughs> oh, okay. <clears throat> Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bumblebutt Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that uploads weekly. Who knows what it'll be about? Certainly not me. This week, do I say that? This week? Uh, it sounds right. I'm gonna. Are we, are we recording already? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Introducing first, <laughs> fighting out of our blue corner is from Arizona, but not real Arizona by way of Iowa. Philip, hello. Hey, how's it going? Hi, nice to see you. Subliminal deception, Phil. It's good to see you back again. You were here the first time 
we just discovered mm. pretty fucking early. Early. Oh, yeah. Super early. early. Uh, Minnesota murder. Minnesota murder. One was, of them. I think it was the very first one you did. That's, I think. Wow. That's so cool. I like that. Well, I'm glad you're back now. <laughs> and you are, have you enjoyed your weekend so far up here? I have. Hell it's yeah. It's not hot as hell. So, oh, mm. you're not getting your balls cooked off. Yeah. Have you eaten anything good that you missed? Casey's fucking pizza. <laughs> I had my Casey's pizza. Now I'm happy. Wow. You and my older brother. Wow. Casey's the general store we're talking, right? Yes. Casey, yes, of course. Wow. Yeah, he loves, he fucking swears by it. He lives down in Cannon Falls where there's a lot of Casey's. And he fucking, he talks about gobbling them up all the time. What Do you know what his favorite flavor is? I don't know, actually. I'm going to guess pepperoni sausage. I'm a pretty big fan of the Supreme. Nah, it's that's, good. That's the way. I need a little veggie we're all on the, there. We're uh, the taco. taco. We're all about the taco pizza. Anybody, just try it. I swear to God, it's great. Go home. It's great. Go back to Mexico, you little shit. <laughs> we did get screwed over on the, the lettuce and the, the chips last yeah. night, though. So we got the they pizza, went cheap. and like everything was just in this little ball in the middle. Mm. They're not supposed Here's to your make taco. it that way. Yeah. yeah. What are you going to do, though? They're stoner Fold kids. Fold it in half and eat it. Well, there's stoner kids working there. You can't blame them. Yeah, I know. They probably don't want to be there. Oh, but you know who's great and who will be great tonight as well? The crack shot team at Robert Street Taco Bell. Those boys work hard on they a Saturday do. night. They do. Do mm. they? You you go there every like people don't know you go there every week. Every after week. Record. That's my that's my like quote unquote cheat meal. Do they know you by name yet? Do they? No, no, they don't. They know the car and they, they know, know the, the voice. They okay. know that when I pull okay. up, they pretty much know they gotta sit there for a while. <laughs> Is that Adam of Bumblebutt Podcast? Uh, that's right. <laughs> Come that's on right. down. <laughs> no, they're like we shit. Got a, we got a VIP coming through. Shit, defrost all the steak in the building. <laughs> he wants all of it. They uh, got a worker who comes and opens the door for you. <laughs> yes. hey, we got the toilet all clean for you, buddy. It's good to go. <laughs> A concierge service. Uh, all right, Phil. Awesome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being on Subliminal Deception. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Good job. Thank also, you for- <laughs> also here is Cody. Hello, Cody. Hello, Adam. Uh, how was your week? Uh, it was good. It was productive. I got a lot of secret things uh, done that we can't talk about yet. Secrets? I, yes. Regarding Secrets the scare shows, me. Regarding the show, you know about them already. But if... <sighs> and uh, I got... I finished Alien Isolation. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Mm. I, I That fucking alien mm. made me jump a few times. Mm-mm. You're walking and the little shit jumps on top Mm-mm. of you. I don't, I don't really Mm-mm. like it very Mm-mm. much. Mm-mm. It's great, though. Great game. All great right, good. story, too. Uh, what about the androids? Did they scare you? Not as much because they just feel like like a, a low tier supervisor at a corporation. They're like, you look like you could use some assistance. <laughs> they just like chased you. You look like you could use some assistance. Please. Are you lost? I know where the screws are. I I just need to be in Home Depot for two seconds. My favorite is like. It looks like you're carrying some dangerous equipment there. Mm. <laughs> They're just killing it in customer service. Yeah. yeah that, like, if you were to install those at any call center, they'd be the best people you have. Hell yeah. Because you'd be too scared to ask for anything. I know, you know I would K- be. Karen calls up asking for the manager, and then the androids are going to scare her off. Oh. I love the milk blood, though. That's oh, yeah. That's my favorite thing, the milk That's blood. That's so gross. You should mm. uh, read the behind the scenes for when they were filming that. They were, it was like nine hours in mayonnaise and milk, basically. They were just covered in it. <laughs> Yuck. Mm-hmm. Disgusting. Actually, the original Evil Dead, when Bruce Campbell's talking about getting 
the fake blood stuck on his jacket after like eight hours mm. and it's just like embedded on him it just turns like a rock because <laughs> it's just syrup yeah you know, hardened syrup so. fucking corn syrup yeah yeah, yeah one, absolutely one movie that always made me cringe was I don't know if you've ever seen it, the Ernest Scared Stupid oh. Halloween movie. Oh. When they're doing like the killing each other with milk thing, and they're all pouring milk on each other, it's fucking about to throw up. Really? I hate milk. Oh, wow. Wow. I'm not a fan. I love milk. We got a lactose racist over here. I'm a fan of chocolate milk. <laughs> chocolate like that, so, so uh, Try Fair Life. Have you tried Fair Life? No, I don't, I don't try it. It has no lactose, <laughs> right? It's like the White Claw of milk. It's White Claw milk. Yeah. It's the best seltzer milk there ever was. Get your carbonated milk today. Cody, why don't you take us Should on a we? magical adventure? Uh, uh, certainly. Now, we can't thank the person who recommended this because, remember, they were too shy. They right. didn't want their name. Right. But uh, after you recommended this, we decided uh, we're going to go ahead and dive into this man here. It's going to be fascinating. This week, we will be diving into one of America's most notorious crimes perpetrated by an individual whose true identity is still a point of contention. Just like who recommended it to us. Right. <laughs> we got our <laughs> they, own DB they, Cooper. Yeah, they are as secret as him. <laughs> uh, this man's crime swept the nation during the 1970s and still to this day. Simply mentioning his name, almost everybody knows exactly what you're talking about. This infamous individual being, of course, D.B. Cooper. Ooh. All right. <laughs> now, some say the infamous criminal D.B. Cooper was the last great American outlaw, a real throwback to the outlaws of the past, such as Wild West cowboys or prohibition mobsters that threw the middle finger at the government, big <laughs> business, and most of all, law and order. Is oh. that how you guys feel about him when you hear about him? Like... He stuck it to the man. Oh, uh, no. no. I just, I think of more like a suave uh, James Bond type, honestly, when I hear DB. He's not really like the Robin Hood figure that you kind of associate with those those old time outlaws. Yeah. Oh, mm. you know, they 100% gave him that moniker. That'll happen. The, yeah. uh, I guess Northwest Robin Hood. I don't know what the fuck they call him. But, uh, but yeah, a lot of people like worshiped him. And as we'll find out after we talk about the crime here. Uh, we'll find out people did really love him. Now, cool. while D.B. Cooper certainly could be considered an outlaw, much like his counterparts from many years earlier, once you wipe off that nice glossy sheen created by the fantasy of becoming a true American anti-hero, pull back the curtains and look deeply into the lives of these individuals, General, generally speaking, they are not good people who do terrible things to other people. And the individual who I believe is D.B. Cooper is no different. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, the folkification of Yes. Them. We worship them, but they're bad fucking people. Like, how many people are like, I want to be like Al Capone or I want to be like John Dilger? Sure. They weren't nice people, man. Come on. Well, you love Scarface, though. I love Scarface. I love yeah. I love every it, Scorsese movie and it, all the characters in there. Uh, I mean, think of De Niro in Goodfellas. Loved him. He killed a lot of people <laughs> yes. in there just yeah. because he was paranoid about the robbery. <laughs> you love those characters, but just because they're so fictional, mm. like they couldn't be real. That's why you love them. Because exactly. if they seemed real and were doing that horrible shit, you'd be going, whoa, going, Jesus. I can't take this anymore. That is a psychotic, evil supervillain. I mm. mean, I would assume they are based on real people, though, right? Why not? Mm. Well, I cannot say for certain the gentleman we will eventually be talking about 
is D.B. Cooper. The extensive research done by Thomas J. Colbert and Tom <laughs> Zolasi or something like Zolasi and their team in the book, The Last Master Outlaw, how he outfoxed the FBI six, six times, but not a cold case team. So they're kind of rubbing their own dicks on that one that there. That sounds right. But they did put together a fantastic book and there are just way too many connections and coincidences to overlook and i believe by the end of this long saga everybody will agree with me but we're not going to talk about that guy until episode two then we'll get into that wacky motherfucker's (laughs) entire life i promise you he is absolutely insane but let's get started with the infamous airplane hijacking event shall we yes It was the day before Thanksgiving. On November 24th, 1971, most citizens in Portland probably just assumed it was going to be your normal, cloudy, uninspiring Oregon day. Sometime after about 2 p.m., a 30 to 40-year-old gentleman wearing a black business suit, wraparound sunglasses, and smoking cigarettes like Philip Morris hadn't disclosed it gives you cancer yet... (laughs) had entered the Portland International Airport. Witnesses later claimed that it appears as if he might have been wearing dark makeup to hide his appearance slightly. Blackface, holy shit. Okay, not that far. Maybe like the the clerk at a a Hot Topic store, maybe a level there. I don't know. But yeah, the the book- Goffed it up. (laughs) It's funny how much the book's leaning on. Like, he was just chain smoking the whole time. Just smoking, smoking, blowing it's it everywhere. the 70s, right? A, a normal 70s dude. Yeah. Yeah. He was carrying a small paper bag, an attache case. He approached the ticket counter and slammed down a $20 bill to purchase a one-way flight from Portland to Seattle. Hmm. On his plane ticket, in pencil, he wrote down the name Dan Cooper. Now, if you're you are wondering why he wrote down Dan Cooper, if everybody calls him D.B. Cooper, well, that is because much later on, a reporter misheard an FBI agent that said Dan Cooper and wrote down D.B. Cooper instead. All right. And it yeah. just caught on. Everybody started calling him D.B. So because oh, That's fucking, awesome. Well, because of a fucking Melvin who wasn't even paying attention here, that's his name now. That's great, that's, actually. I that's guess. how most uh, immigrants to the United States got their last names, was a <laughs> mishearing of their fucking name. <laughs> The fucking bureaucrat at the station was like, yeah, whatever the fuck. What's that, spaghetti? Okay, get on in. I have I have Luigi, and then there's just a little noodle on there. Okay. What's your last name now, sir? Luigi Noodle Scribble. The flight that D.B. Cooper boarded was Northwest Airlines Flight 305 from Portland to Seattle, which was about a 30-minute flight. The plane was a Boeing 727-051 Able to seat 94 passengers, but this particular flight only had 37 passengers on board. Adam, you'd probably love that. This seems... Oh, that would be the best. Everybody gets their own row, basically. (laughs) But what the fuck? Doesn't that seem like a bit of an overplane to be going 30 minutes? Uh, I don't know. I think they always do that, right? Maybe. I don't know. I would assume... I've been playing a lot of airplane. Microsoft just released uh, Flight Sim. (laughs) 2020? Yeah. And there's a goddamn add-on you can do called on air where you can like run your own company it turns it into a game basically and so it's wait, fucking amazing wait, you can like be the stewardess no you're the owner of oh. my 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 airline is called cuck air 
Like a tycoon? Cockier. Yes, yes. Tycoon game. Yes. Nice. It's very good. And you fly from point A to point B, and it, like, tracks your fuel and damage and everything. You got to get repairs and hire crew and all that stuff. <laughs> That's my it's really great jam. Yep. You yeah. should get it. Right there. If you get Xbox Game Pass, it's free. So. I was going to say, I uh, I took a flight back from England to Minnesota on a British Airlines, the Red Eye. For a plane that could hold about 300 people, there was maybe 20 on board. We all got our own middle row to sleep in. Oh, yeah. 11-hour flight. Yeah, Holy yeah. shit. The stewardess came around, tapped you awake to see if you wanted any more free liquor. Oh, is great. What? Did you go to heaven? Like, the, if that plane went down, that would be, it, it would be okay. Yeah, yeah, I'd have been fine with yeah. that. You yeah. must have thought you were Devin Sawa in Final Destination at that oh. point. You must have just died up there and went to heaven. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, like, for us here in Minnesota, people go from the Twin Cities to Chicago a lot. True. That so is that's true. like a 30-minute yeah. hop. So I assume they do the same thing here. I would assume. I don't know. All right, that makes sense. Yep. Anyway. Now, Portland ticket agent Hale Williams with seat D.B. Cooper in coach at seat number 18C. The flight was set to take off at about 2.50 p.m. And right before the plane departed, D.B. Cooper got the attention of flight attendant Florence Schaffner Mm. and handed her a note. Now, as with the time period, Florence was used to men aboard the plane trying to hit on her. So she just stuffed the note into her pocket and didn't think too much of it. Right. A short time later, as Florence was walking past him, D.B. Cooper waved his hand to get her attention, and she headed over to him. After this, uh, he slid slid his glasses down, looked directly at Florence, and said, You better read that. I have a bomb. <laughs> Making sure to <laughs> point at his black briefcase there. I guess, it, well, he's not going to get the point across unless he takes the glasses down, right? True. You got you to gotta do slide that. him a little bit. <laughs> that shows you mean fucking business. <laughs> Wouldn't they think, why is this asshole wearing sunglasses on a fucking organ plane right now? I would. Mm. I'd ask. I'd be asking that question. Because it isn't the 80s where they have cocaine everywhere yet, so why yeah. are you wearing sunglasses on a flight? Yeah. Let's take them mm. off here, Let's pal. Let's do it. Uh-oh. Now, obviously taken back, Florence walked away and then pulled the note out and finally read it, then approached fellow flight attendant Tina Mucklow uh, to show her the note. Then the two flight attendants headed into the cockpit and informed the pilot, Captain William M. Scott, of what was going on, which caused him to quickly contact the Seattle-Tacoma Air Traffic Control and inform them of the situation. Pretty standard, it seems. Yeah, Yeah. follow the chain of command. That's right, all the way up. (laughs) After this, naturally, the Seattle police and FBI were quickly contacted. FBI agent Gary Tallis was working the Seattle Territory at the time. It would be the first one on the scene to handle the plane hijacking situation until backup could arrive. Now, the president of Northwest Airlines at the time was Donald Nyrop. I assume it's Nyrop. Yeah, it looks like it. uh, Was contacted about the hijackers' demands, which were... $200,000 in $20 bills and four parachutes in exchange for the safe passage of the passengers and some of the flight crew. Oh. Now. Some. Phil's going to agree with me here. Now, I can't imagine any corporation present even remotely (laughs) considering doing this today, but Mr. Nahirop quickly agreed to just give the hijacker whatever he wanted to ensure the safety of his customers and his employees. That would be great, I don't, wouldn't it? I don't think 
the CEO of Walmart is doing this. Wouldn't that be fuck, great, though? Fuck that. We got insurance. Let her burn. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I get a whole new plane and a bunch of money if that thing blows up. That's what he's thinking. Yeah. It just blew my mind. Like, I couldn't imagine any boss I've ever worked for being like, yeah, I think we'll save your life for 200 grand. It's not going to happen. No. It, it, happen. That's 1971. Yeah. Even now, 200 grand, they wouldn't do it. They Maybe, wouldn't do it for 50. <laughs> Maybe this is why Northwest went under. Oh, be. or because the airlines are fucking cartels and there's no competition <laughs> because they all fix prices. Now, when air traffic control and the FBI got back to Captain Scott, they informed him that they were securing the money and the parachutes for the hijacker. Captain Scott told flight attendant Florence to head back to the plane and informed D.B. Cooper of the details. Now, while I am sure D.B. Cooper was happy his demands were being fulfilled to make sure... They knew he was serious. When Florence was standing next to him, he opened up the briefcase, showing her all of the wires, a large battery, and several red cylinders that looked a hell of a lot like dynamite. Mm -hmm. Cooper said, Tell your pilot to stay in the air until they've got the money and shoots ready in Seattle. (laughs) He's not playing. Mm -mm. Once we dive into who I believe the real D.B. Cooper is, this gentleman had this entire situation planned out. He was exceedingly intelligent and cunning, and he knew that it was going to take the FBI a while to gather the $200,000 in $20 bills. Also, when Cooper found out that the FBI was getting military-grade parachutes from McCord Air Force Base in Tacoma, Washington, Cooper informed the stewardess to tell the captain that he did not want military parachutes because they automatically opened. Mm. He wanted civilian parachutes that were equipped with user control rip cords. Mm. While the flight crew would have no idea yet that the user controlled rip cord would be very important when he finally jumps out of the Boeing 727. Okay. So they don't know why he wants parachutes. I mean, I guess they can guess why he yeah, wants he's them. He's jumping out of that. Failing the fuck out. out. Yeah. They just assume he's a crazy dude, right? Plus, uh, military ones, um, this is just from Band of Brothers, but don't you have to, like, hook it up? You have to be hooked up. Yeah. yeah. And it's So like, how are you going to do that in a 727? Yeah. It has to be, like, the situation is, like, with the C-17, they have a rail that you hook mm-hmm. up, and then everyone goes, and you see them kind of gathering towards the end there, so... I yeah. don't know what I don't know why they thought that would be a good idea for DB. He's going to see right through that shit. I think Spec Ops parachutes are actually manual, just like the civilian ones. Sure. Though. Well, those boys can be trusted, I imagine. Yeah, because they're actually aiming for a certain location. Mm. It's not just area drop in this location. So wait, so you're saying that they are uh, the mil the the militaries are automatic because people are too stupid to pull the cord? Yes. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> they want you to land in the same general area. Okay. You, you got to be with your stick, you know. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think at this point, they're just assuming that they don't know he's, he could be a professional. Maybe they just uh-huh. assume he's stupid. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Uh-huh. But anyway. Now, the FBI would agree and collected the specially requested parachutes from a local skydiving school. Now, while the FBI seems to be just giving Cooper everything that he wants... They did make sure to give him tracked bills. All of the $20 bills, serial numbers, would start with the letter L, 
and nearly every single bill would be dated from 1969, mm, just two years it's funny, prior. Because it's yeah. funny. 69, <laughs> dude. Their, their plan was, when he opens the money case, he'll just be like, 69. 69. 69. <laughs> Shit, man. 69. <laughs> Fuck And then yeah. he's just going to be stuck on the plane laughing, laughing at every single dollar bill there. Okay, now my math is bad. How many 20s is 200,000? Ah, uh, too many. Five, I don't know. Fi- 50,000? 50,000 $20 bills? Yeah. Wait. I didn't know we had the fucking talented Mr. Ripley in the house. No, I, that's wrong. Hold on. <laughs> Cut that. Okay. It's 10,000 bills. Oh, it's 10,000 bills. <laughs> oh, yeah, 20. Fuck. Okay, there we go. We're, I'm we're good at math. math. We're Me good too. At, we're I, good at math. I had to go to summer school. I'm horrible at math. Now, with the parachutes, while they may have considered it, they didn't want to give him phony ones, simply, simply believing because he had requested so many. Perhaps he was intending on taking a hostage with him, and if they gave him a phony, they didn't want to end up killing a hostage accidentally. Although, I feel like today they wouldn't really care. Yeah, send him out with the paper <laughs> yeah. paper shoot. It's just like backpack. Bane. What if Bane was answering the call? You <laughs> <laughs> gotta jump for me, brother. We need bodies on the plane. Oh. Or whatever he says on that movie. Uh, the fire rises. That's what he says. <laughs> Nowadays, they'd probably put a paint bomb in the bag. So when he opens it, it just pisses him off. You no, know, like that one movie you like where they fill it up with dildos. <laughs> What's that movie? And Will Smith. Or no, not Will, Will Ferrell. Like? Phil likes okay, Phil the car likes. salesman. He's the car salesman, and he he gives Will Ferrell the the parachute with the dildos in the bag. Oh, it's um, it's uh, uh God damn it! It is. I think it's Sell Hard or something, right? It's not one of his main ones. It's like that Piven guy is yeah, in it. Jeremy Piven. Old school? Not old school. <laughs> Jeremy Piven's in it, and it's PCU man. The goods live the goods. hard, sell I knew hard. it was the something. The goods. <laughs> the the goods. goods. There it is. Okay. <laughs> God damn it. Now, while they were still just up in the air, awaiting word from the ground that the ransom demands were ready, witnesses would later claim that D.B. was sitting calm as could be, sipping his bourbon and seven. Mm. I don't know if that's a good one or not. Yeah, bourbon seven up's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. And chain smoking his Rayleigh cigarettes. You guys ever had some of these? I think it's Raleigh. Raleigh cigarettes. <laughs> Raleigh cigarettes. <laughs> I've never had them. You never had no. them? Uh-uh. Let me let me tell you about the slogan here. Spend a milder moment with a Raleigh. Mm, see? <laughs> that's even fun for kids. <laughs> <laughs> Did they have a fun mascot? Uh, no, it's just like a dapper man smoking a cigarette and all mm. the ads. Mm. But I mean, you could, parents and kids can have a milder moment together. Definitely. You Talk about their grades and stuff. You don't want a wild moment. You want a mild moment with your kid there. Have birds and the bees conversation. <laughs> have a Raleigh. In the 70s, they were kicking their kids out at age like 13. So <laughs> it's only smart they get married and start smoking cigarettes. <laughs> if you're not working by 13, you're fucking worthless. Come Head to the mines, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Will you join me in the wood panel room? We got a smoke a Raleigh cigarette together and have a talk in the study. (laughs) Now, Cooper would even offer to buy Tina Mucklow a drink. He's a gentleman. Now, much later on, the FBI would claim that Cooper was nothing more than a foul-mouthed drunk while aboard the plane, but that simply isn't true. Tina said this later. 
He seemed very nice and thoughtful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, thank you, Tina. <laughs> she had a great voice. Yes, yes. She's a real catch. She smoked a lot of cigarettes, I can tell. A lot tell. of Raleigh's. Uh, in fact, he insisted that Northwest brought dinner along with his demands so that the crew, who would remain on board with him, had something to eat. So that's pretty nice Hell of yeah. him. Meal service. <laughs> Finally, sometime around 5.30 p.m., the plane would land on the tarmac in Seattle. Now, Cooper informed the pilot to taxi the 727 into a brightly lit location far out on the tarmac. Once it was stopped, he told Tina Mucklow to open the aft stairs. Cooper was adamant that only one person was to bring the money and parachutes out to the plane. Hmm. Very corporate move here. Mm. They sent a lone Northwest Airlines employee <laughs> who drove a little vehicle near the plane. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. <laughs> All right, Timmy, get out there. I don't care if it blows up. Just honestly, give this man his thing. honestly, that's the best move to keep the hijacker calm. You don't want to send a cop or something out there. No, or an FBI no, agent. No, no. So yeah, send a little dork in a vest and well, a golf cart. Like if we think about this, they would send Craig out there, right? Oh he works yes, at the airport. Just yes. send him out there. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Can you imagine DB Cooper's up there with his bomb briefcase and a little chubby boy comes up <laughs> with like bondage ropes everywhere and like. Oh, here's your ransom money, sir. Here you go. <laughs> Listen to the Power Trip Morning Show. They shred. <laughs> <laughs> Add me on my Bnet account. There you go. <laughs> uh, so he watched closely as Tina Mucklow went down the stairs and collected the goods from her fellow employee, making sure there was no funny stuff <laughs> going on. <laughs> Once Tina returned to the plane with the money and parachutes, Cooper quickly inspected it, and according to both flight attendants, in a childlike fashion, Cooper started jumping up and down excitedly. <laughs> wow. Okay. He's You're... like, holy shit, this worked. <laughs> oh my God, I'm rich. I God can't believe that these idiots did that. <laughs> I, that'd be so funny. To, you're being hijacked. And this guy's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Woo. This isn't even a real bomb. I just took apart my toy train. <laughs> these fucking idiots. Honestly, a kid's toy during that time probably looked like a briefcase bomb, to be Fuck honest. Fuck yeah. yeah. They had real looking guns. <laughs> <laughs> now, the $200,000 in $20 bills weighed approximately 20 pounds. After receiving the money, Cooper apparently had Florence Schaffner hold it so she could feel how heavy it was. <laughs> he's like, you gotta feel this shit, man. He's, he's still marking out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, Tina made a joke with Cooper about it being a lot of money, and apparently Cooper reached in and pulled out a handful of cash (laughs) offering it to Tina, Uh, but Tina informed him it was against company policy to receive gratuities. (laughs) She must not be a true crime fan, because she just refused fucking fingerprints. (laughs) Seriously. Oh, that's just such a corporate thing. I'm sorry, sir. We can't. We I'll get can't fired. Do, yeah. <laughs> uh, once Cooper was satisfied his demands had been met, he allowed all of the passengers to leave the plane, which included flight attendants Florence Schaffner and first class flight attendant Alice Hancock. Apparently, Hancock had forgotten her purse on the way out and asked Cooper if she could retrieve it. He said, Sure, I'm not going to bite you. <laughs> Now, while Hancock was getting her purse, she witnessed that Cooper was already starting to put his parachute on. Tina Mucklow later said, 
He refused the parachute instructions that I'd handed him, saying, I don't need those. He opened one, looked inside, then closed it up before putting it on, and he put it on easily, as if he had done it before. Huh. I think you're onto something there, <laughs> Tina. <laughs> Alright, this part's good. Now, one of the passengers who sat directly across the aisle from D.B. Cooper was 21-year-old college student Bill Mitchell. Billy Mitchell. Who hey, he's the king of Kong. What? Yeah, he was the, uh, he had a hot sauce about him. Bill Mitchell, then. Billy Mitchell, yeah. Look up the movie King of Kong. He's been, I don't want to speak out of turn here like I did with Kirk Fogg, but he's been sort of uh, brought down as a cheater. He was doing some screen splicing in his oh, videos. yes, uh, yes. I've heard of this guy. You, don't cheat a Donkey Kong, seriously. you prick. And when people were doing good at the arcade, when they were, like, chasing high scores, he would go around the arcade yelling, oh, this guy's about to get a kill screen. And then the people would come over and that would cause the guy to choke, obviously. Just under like, pressure. So wasn't that the Adam Sandler documentary about that? Grandma's Boy? No, the one with him and I can't think of the little man's name. From Tyrion Game. Lannister. Yes. <laughs> uh, and like Dinklage, the, Peter Dinklebot. The, the aliens come down and start eating the world. I didn't see that movie. Cody, what the fuck? What Did you that watch called? that? What's that called? Pixel. Phil? Pixel, yeah. Did you watch that piece of shit? <laughs> I couldn't make it. Okay. I honestly had no fucking idea what you were talking about. Oh, I figured you would have seen it, Phil. <laughs> no. It's a terrible movie. Oh, it's... I can't imagine. You, you are the king of terrible movies. I, this is true. <laughs> very true. That is very true. Now, Bill, prior to figuring out that the plane was actually being hijacked, was actually jealous of Cooper because all of his attention... <laughs> Or because all of the attention the cute blonde Tina Mucklow was giving to him, mm. uh, Bill Mitchell would be a witness used towards the identifying D.B. Cooper. What a who... fucking loser. <laughs> what a fucking loser. He's not a Chad, I'll tell you that one. I'm not getting enough attention from Mucklow. I'm what? so pissed off at your game, I'm just going to take you fucking down now. <laughs> I'll remember that face, asshole. Oh. Well, does he have a higher score in Donkey Kong than me? <laughs> <laughs> Now, Mitchell vividly remembers his jugular thing, a turkey waft, I think it's a waddle fold of skin under Cooper's chin, and his very dark hair, which was so shiny, he believed it had just been dyed. Mm. You know that look? The old the shoe ca- polish. The old Casey look there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Now, what else is important about Bill Mitchell is that once he and the rest of the passengers were off of the plane, they were questioned by the FBI. Now, it is important to remember that nobody, including the FBI, knew what the man's name was who was hijacking the plane. So once outside, Bill Mitchell remembers an FBI officer doing a roll call of all the passengers until they finally figured out the missing passenger was, in fact, Dan Cooper. Hmm. Well, that's some good police work. Mm. I mean, they, they, they figured that out pretty quick. Narrowed down the down. manifesto, yeah. I can tell you how many times the teacher called my name and I wasn't there. Yeah. You're a little <laughs> truant, Cody. Yeah. You're a little truant. Now, still aboard the plane would be D.B. Cooper with Tina Mucklow, Captain William Scott, First Officer William... I can't even say this. Radizak. Radizak. He sounds like the teacher from um, Starship Troopers. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, that movie's so fucking good. I, I literally had to rewatch it like last week. So good. It's so worth it. Yes, the acting's bad. Okay? It's, it's awful. Fine. But it, fuck me if that's not so... Oh, they have a game called Helldivers on Steam. Mm. Okay? And you it's basically your, uh, your, your, your mobile infantry. 
It's amazing. Really? Yes, you should look at it. Hell Divers. They used to have like a really shitty CG Starship Trooper show. Do you remember mm, that? Mm-hmm. Kind of cartoonish yep. show. Yeah. Every yeah. single Starship Troopers made after the first one was more and more terrible. Like cheaper and cheaper, more mm. and more. Mm-hmm. Like just horrible in every way. Mm. So they didn't have Doogie Hauser in it. Ah. That's true. <laughs> Uh, also was flight en- engineer H.E. Henderson. Also on board. Mm, okay. I don't know what he's doing there, but he's there. Some- Maybe he's the Scotty of the flight. I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. He's giving her all she's got. <laughs> <laughs> With the now empty plane, Tina spoke up and plainly asked Cooper, You have a grudge against Northwest? <laughs> Cooper said, I don't have a grudge against your airline, miss. I just have a grudge. Edgy. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Uh, Captain Scott then spoke up and told Cooper that the that an FAA executive was asking permission to board the plane and to explain to him the penalties for air piracy. <laughs> what a fucking nerd. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. You wouldn't steal a plane, would you? Like, yes, oh, I guess so. <laughs> oh, geez, sir, is this against the law? I have no idea. <laughs> you do know that you are breaking the law, Mr. Cooper. You wouldn't you wouldn't download Metallica albums illegally, <laughs> would you? Thank God he didn't do that, or else he really would have fucking got it sticked. What to him. if the FAA executive was actually the lead singer of Metallica? Well, Lars was Lars. the one that was really pissed. <laughs> oh, was uh, Lars? the drummer, yeah. <laughs> uh, Cooper told him, "Tell him to forget it." <laughs> That's exactly why I was. Hell too. yeah, I I know <laughs> this isn't the right thing to do. Okay, I know that. Now, prior to the plane retaking off, Cooper was demanding that the captain just leave the stairs open because he was going to need them to jump <laughs> off anyway. But after a short conversation, the captain was able to convince Cooper that the scraping and sparking under the fully fueled plane might not be the best idea. That's yeah, a bad call. <laughs> Probably solid. Now, even though Cooper had been so meticulous about all of his plans up to this point, Tina would later say that it was very apparent that Cooper had no idea how to open or close the stairs of the plane. So while he was trying to figure that out, he told Tina to read out loud what was written on the stairway's instruction card. (laughs) After she was finished, Tina informed Cooper she didn't believe it would be possible for them to be open once the, the plane was back in the air. Cooper sat and thought for a minute, considered Tina's opinion, and just told her, I think you're wrong, Tina. (laughs) Uh, Cooper then took the jet's cabin phone and told the cockpit crew they needed to follow his exact instructions, which were they must maintain an altitude that is 10,000 feet or less, the wing flaps must be set at 15 degrees, and the airspeed must not exceed 150 knots or 200 miles an hour, with the wheels left down and the cabin pressure off. Yeah, all right. This guy knows exactly what the fuck he's doing. <laughs> yeah. Wait, you, this isn't common knowledge? <laughs> this is how I would set it to take off and land for uh, uh, in one of these planes, an airplane simulator. When, okay, it, yeah, I was going to say, now that you've been playing airplane simulator, are you able to hijack a plane if you need to? Uh, you know, <laughs> I think those 9-11 boys played a lot of simulator. Mm. I'm not saying anything. I actually think that's true, though. It is true. Yeah. yeah. They spent a lot of time in simulator. But it wasn't as awesome as this one. I'll tell you that much. Mm. It well, sounds like he knows exactly what he needs to know to jump out of a plane, but not how to, like, operate the plane to open it. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like, he's jumped out of a plane thousands of times, but he's never pushed the button. 
He's never been a flight crew. I no. can, I give you guys a little preview on part two when we, we start talking about the other guy. We go through most of his entire military career. I can tell you, this man knows how planes work. Okay. 100% he okay. knows how planes work. Uh, Cooper then said, And Captain Scott, I'm wearing a wrist altimeter, so I'll know what your altitude is. <laughs> uh, the witnesses would later claim that they did not see Cooper wearing any sort of watch or anything on his wrist. Sure. So it was probably just a good lie. Hell yeah. But co-pilot Radizak would say, when he told me to set the wing flaps to 15 degrees, I knew that it was a smart guy. He knows. I he knows know. Drag. I know he would beat that Jeff Foxworthy fo- <laughs> uh, guy's show. I know it. Have you seen his new show? Uh, is it smarter than a sixth grader? Is that grader? the Bible one? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Yep. I've seen that Wait, what's shit. the Bible one? I don't know what it's called, but it's like, Jeff Foxworthy, do you know the Bible? Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, it is. It's it's definitely all the all of these old school like christian people and they're teaming up with their kids who've got all the spunk on the team and yeah it's great i want to die and by great i mean terrible but it's great it should be like are you smarter than a catholic school student maybe (laughs) sure (laughs) now the other interesting thing they would figure out is that the details you would need to know to parachute from a boeing 727 in 1971 would have been classified to the public except for those Doing covert missions in Vietnam, <laughs> which are going to be very important later on. <laughs> so th- even though it's a commercial aircraft, right? They didn't they didn't release that information to the public yet. I see. After Vietnam, then it all comes out. I see. Which means this man has to be a soldier to understand all of this. Stuff. So that means our boys were mm. were using commercial airlines to drop some wet work agents in there, huh? He he, know, he knows <laughs> a lot about flying. It I was. Promise. Vietnam, so that might have been heroin, too. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, heroin corpses, I forgot. <laughs> now, you're probably wondering, where the hell is Flight 305 even going to head at this point? Well, Cooper eventually told the crew he didn't really care which route they took <laughs> so long as they were headed south to Mexico. Mm. Eventually, Radijak would inform him that the plane wasn't going to make it any farther than a 1,000 miles, so they came to the agreement to refuel in Reno, Nevada, and then finish the journey to Mexico. But before any of those plans could even happen, they needed to actually get off the ground again. True. After Cooper had gotten his money and parachutes and most of the passengers and crew off of the plane, he had told them to refuel the plane for the trip forward. Now, Cooper was really upset because he knew it should only take 15 minutes to refuel since the plane could take on 4,000 gallons a minute. But those working on refueling the plane claimed that they had a vapor lock, which could be true, or they're just stalling for time. We don't really know. Okay, so that's a real thing? That's what I call it when I eat a bunch of bread, and then I get the hiccups. (laughs) Imagine if you you had bread and two white claws. You'd be having a lot of vapor locks. Holy shit. I would be burping to the moon. Phil, do you know, does anybody know how you actually, like, get a vapor lock? Like I, I know it's air in the system, yeah. but I'm not sure like how it actually happens. I'm assuming it's air in the fuel lines mm. or something. Mm. I'm not sure. I worked on refuelers a bunch, but I've never actually seen them like refueling an airplane. I've only seen them testing out all of the like the locks on the mm. on the oh. hoses. So and using the system. So well, I don't know if I've ever talked about it, but like my dad's Jeep up there that I'm borrowing, it has a problem that if you if you fill it up with gas and you leave the handle, it's supposed to click automatically and turn off. Well, there's a malfunction there where it the air doesn't force it to stop. 
So it shoots gas out <laughs> if you don't click Jesus it right away. Christ. Yeah. Christ. Yeah. So you can't. You got to be careful. You got to stop the handle. Before God it damn. Up. Is that a recall or anything or no? I don't know. It's uh, I forgot what he called it. It's some sort of. PVC pressure air valve that's supposed to click it off. Yeah. And it's not working, so the gas will shoot back <laughs> out. Yeah. So, so I can see how it can happen to a plane. Yeah. They just go off to Quick Trip and yeah. fill it up there. Anyway, now it had taken two hours since the plane first landed in Seattle to get the ransom items, unload the passengers, and refuel the plane. Finally, around 7.36 p.m., the plane would finally go back into the air. Now, initially, the pilots in air traffic control were telling the pilots to fly over the Pacific Ocean, but the FAA shot that idea down. But as we will find out, it seemed like Cooper knew that they were going to do that. They knew that they were going to take him right where he wanted to. Why, Why would they try to do so he wouldn't jump? It almost sounded like... If he jumped out over the ocean, they could get him immediately. Well, yeah, or he'd die. Or he'd die, uh, yeah. They'd either just let him drown or they'd scoop him up. I think they might have still been under the impression that he might be taking a passenger with him. So if he was to jump into the ocean with a passenger with him, it's really not good. Okay. You'd kill him, probably. All right, yeah. all right. Now that they were back in the air, headed for Reno, Nevada, Cooper immediately ordered that everyone remaining on board go into the cockpit. Tina Mucklow would later recall, just as she was closing the curtain by first class, she caught a glimpse that Cooper was tying the lassoed bank bag to his waist, adjusting the parachute, and waved goodbye to her. He might be a little special then, I think. <laughs> Did he leave his phone number? Yeah, I bet find, he wanted find to. Find me in Tinder, Tina. Mm. <laughs> Now, at approximately 7.42 p.m., all members were officially in the cockpit, and because it was 1971, they didn't have any cameras on board, so they had no way of seeing what he was doing in the back of the plane. Sure. But they could tell that almost immediately he was trying to lower the stairs. <laughs> the biggest problem at the time was the, store, the stairs lowered via gravity and didn't lower automatically, so when Cooper couldn't lower the stairs... He called into the cockpit and informed co-pilot Radizak of his issues. Cooper informed them to slow down and stabilize the plane. Which the captain slowed down to approximately 170 uh, miles per hour and leveled the plane out. It was at this point they all took notice of the red light that read open door on the instrument panel. The crew knew immediately that Cooper had gotten the door open. <laughs> the captain came over the intercom and said... Is there anything that we can do for you? <laughs> Cooper said. Everything's okay. We see the doors open. Hey, is there anything we can do for you back there? Do you need a hors d'oeuvre? Do you need a refill on your drink? What's we're, going all, on? we're all having martinis up here if you want to come join us for a cocktail. <laughs> this was the last time the crew would ever hear from Cooper. At around 8.13 p.m., they felt a slight dip in the elevation of the jet's nose, a pressure bump, followed by the tail correcting itself. Now, Captain Scott took note that at this exact moment, they were nearly over the Lewis River and roughly 25 miles north of Portland. Captain Scott and the rest of the crew were fairly certain that Cooper had jumped, but told his crew this, We keep going to Reno no matter what. <laughs> yeah. He just really wants to gamble, I think. Yeah, oh, sure. Biggest little city to, on Earth. If we're going there anyway. Yeah. I mean. 
He wants to go, what is it, the cat farm, the cat ranch? Uh, Bunny Ranch. Bunny uh, Ranch, that's where he wants to go. Boy, those, that was a rough show. I bet you it know, only yeah. costed 15 bucks back then, too. <laughs> ooh, ooh. If this flight costed, what, 20? Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. just showed him his little his little Northwest uh, Airline badge and probably got a discount. His little tin wings that yeah. he got oh, yeah. for being a good flyer. Honestly, though, guys, you can't really blame them because they didn't really know if the plane or if the bomb was still on the plane or not. So they're just going to follow his orders. Yeah. Uh, Finally, around 1015 p.m., they landed on the Reno airport tarmac with sparks shooting everywhere from the stairs (laughs) being left open. After waiting nervously for a few moments to see if there was any commotion from the back of the plane, Captain Scott got on the intercom asking if Cooper could hear them. No response. So Captain Scott asked again, still no response. Eventually, he opened the door and felt the cold air that had overtaken the inside of the plane. It was estimated that the air temperature would have been around 22 degrees with a cold wind and a light rain. You're parachuting out of a plane and that is hitting you. Oof, that's brutal. That's fucking, you're, you're, you're cold. You're a cold boy at that point. <laughs> I don't even know if Nico could handle that. Ooh, yeah, that's it's a too deep, tough. That's a deep cut there, but uh, yeah, the toughest boy we know. Ooh. After, after the cabin took a short look uh, throughout the cabin, it was very apparent that Cooper was actually gone. Now that the plane was finally grounded and the crew was safe, the local police and FBI swarmed the plane. After they searched through the plane, Cooper had taken almost every single item that he had brought on board with him. His hat, his briefcase bomb, his overcoat, and one uh, one set of the parachutes were all gone. <laughs> he did leave behind his necktie and a pack of Raleigh filter cigarette butts <laughs> and a signed Just gate the ticket. Just the butts. He smoked his whole pack, apparently. Good. I was hoping he didn't forget it. <laughs> he left it for the flight attendant. Like, take care of this shit. Mm. <laughs> Obviously, the crew would be thoroughly interrogated for hours, but they didn't know much about Cooper outside of following his instructions. They literally said, I didn't really include in here, but they interrogated Tina for like eight hours after dealing with the ransom. I'm I'm sorry that I fucking saved my life and everyone else's life by mm-hmm. complying with this psychopath. I'm really, I'm really sorry that I'm the victim and also a suspect. Man, they grilled the shit out of her. No, that's not, that is up. not okay. No, it was fucked up. You know they're not in on it. That like, corporate shit nowadays, they'd be like, how come you didn't come on top with the money? <laughs> Why didn't you try to defuse the bomb like Bruce Willis and Die Hard? God. I don't understand. Idiots. Now, in, to, in regards to where Cooper could have jumped out at, he would have had to jump directly into the Oregon Mountains filled with spiked trees, not to mention the fact that it was cold and it was wet. Hmm. Initially, the FBI and police assumed Cooper had to be either injured or just flat out dead. This might have been the biggest reasons why they didn't decide to search until the following morning. Oh, you gotta get could, on those footprints it, I mean, ASAP. It, it could be it's Thanksgiving. They didn't want to bother anybody, too. I don't really know. But uh, well, I don't I don't like that excuse. Uh, like the guy that killed those kids and didn't call the police because it was Thanksgiving. Oh, remember that? Yes, that that is one of the most fucked up audios you can listen to. And remember, we found that uh, weird CG thing where it matched up the audio. Oh, yeah. yeah, That was crazy. yeah. Yeah. They intensely searched the area for the next few weeks. Interestingly, they would secretly call in the Air Force's very top secret SR-71 Blackbird spy plane. Hell yeah. Yeah. Literally the fastest plane on the planet at the time. Oh, that's so cool. 
But because of the tree canopy and the thick layer of low uh, clouds, it proved to be fairly futile. But one could wonder why they would even pull this thing out in the first place for someone they assumed was either dead and add to the fact that it would have been almost impossible to locate him with this plane anyway. So I don't know why they brought it out, honestly. And probably because they could. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's crazy because that's needed for, it's like the U-2, it's needed for extremely high elevation when you're going over Russia and don't want to either get shot down or seen by the ground observers, ground radar. So, th- so. is this plane still a thing that they use? No, it is retired now. But yeah, I'm assuming it's they fucking have, awesome, though. They have awesome. advanced models of it, I would assume, right? Yeah, I, I bet you. Mm. I bet we have top secret awesome planes, this, like the SR-71. This plane goes, I think it's Mach 3, it tops out at. It's one of those planes that leaks oil when it's on the ground, because when it gets up to top speed, it all closes up, and all of the all of the fittings, so it doesn't leak oil anymore when it's in the air. It's one of those. Oh, just like so good. Just like Rob Reiner. Just like <laughs> just Rob Reiner. <laughs> with grease and butter. Yeah, with Leaks butter. soil on the ground. Uh, after their expansive search, none of the law enforcement agencies involved were able to locate a single shred of evidence from the presumed area that Cooper had landed. They were almost positive Cooper had to be dead, but FBI agent Gary Tallis, we remember him, mm. who's the first agent on the scene in Seattle... Felt a little differently and apparently offered to parachute himself out of a <laughs> Boeing 727 to prove he was able, you'd be able to survive. But the FBI said, nah, you're, you're not doing that. <laughs> now, I want to thank our new research assistant, Kelly, very much for the next part. She helped me uh, find some of these newspaper articles about things I didn't really know about. So we'll talk about them right here. A couple of big fat emails mm-hmm. in our inbox. Mm-hmm. As you can imagine, right after this successful hijacking and the name D.B. Cooper would be heard all over the world, he became a bit of a cultural icon. Apparently, just three days after the hijacking, a Portland-based screen printing business called Alpine Silk Screen Products started selling a pretty neat little shirt that said, D.B. Cooper, where are you? Mm. The general manager, Alan King, said... We've sold 3,000 of them so far, and the response is fantastic. (laughs) A local Seattle high school teacher didn't feel the same. They said, I thought I trained myself never to be shocked by anything a kid would wear, but this is the latest piece of sick Americana. It is too much even for me. Oh, my God. Dude, I showed you a picture of this, Adam. This is like the mildest goddamn shirt. And this guy's like, this is disgusting. It's a money sack with a with wings on it, yeah, isn't it? Yes, it's basically all this it is. It's all right. Just, uh, yeah, I recreated it, and we're considering re-releasing it as a Bumblebutt shirt. I love it. I love yeah, that idea. Yeah, we're going to. I'll probably post it this week here. Fuck let everybody yeah. know what they say. Now, there was also knockoff competitors who tried to get into the iconic shirt market. Their shirts said, Will the real D.B. Cooper please stand up? And Skyjacking, the only way to fly. Now, the, now the Skyjacking, the only way to fly shirts were taken off of the shelves because Western Airlines claimed it was copyright infringement because their motto was Western, the only way to fly. Yeah. That's a high level troll right oh, yeah. there. That's yeah. solid. Got to keep your corporate interest intact. Mm-hmm. 
There was also a bowling alley based out of Seattle that hosted a D.B. Cooper bowling sweepstakes with cash prizes. <laughs> That's pretty fucking awesome. I'm not going to lie to you. Hell yeah. <laughs> fucking everybody's getting on board. It's so good. This is the. That's what I told Kelly. I'm like, this is the most American thing ever. Something happens. Instantly, capitalism steps in. Everybody's trying to make money off of it. It's, it's just the how it happens. Ashley Home Store, uh, <laughs> DB Cooper event. No interest till 2030. Now, about a week after the DB Cooper hijacking, someone had mailed four letters signed by DB Cooper, effectively taunting the FBI for failing to locate him. The letters were all mailed uh, to different newspapers. The first letter was mailed to a paper in Reno, Nevada. The second letter was mailed to a paper in Vancouver, British Columbia. The third letter was mailed to a paper in Portland, Oregon. And the fourth letter was mailed to another paper in Reno, Nevada. The letter in Vancouver read, Chief Editor, the composite drawing on page three, as suspected by FBI, does not represent the truth. I enjoyed the Grey Cup game. I'm leaving Vancouver. Thanks for the hospitality. D.B. Cooper. <laughs> if anybody is wondering, the Calgary Stampeders defeated the Toronto Argonauts 14-11. to 11, uh, And there was 34,400 people in attendance. Probably be pretty Holy hard to... Holy shit! Be pretty hard to uh, find them in there. But uh, but it's kind of sounds like a boring game. 14-11? 14-11? Uh, that's like two safeties and a touchdown with a missed extra point, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Like, I'd hear... No. 7-8... Yeah, maybe. One of them's a safety. <laughs> no, uh, he went for two and got a field goal. Mm, that yeah. could be. Yeah. That there could be. Yeah, yeah. The Oregon letter read, I'm alive and doing well in hometown P.O., the system that beats the system, D.B. Cooper. I think the P.O. is like um, like P.O. box, maybe. I don't know what that means. I have no idea. Post he office? It could be. I'll, I'll In hometown post office. I'll look, once I explain what the letters look like, it might make a little more sense here. Okay. Now... This letter is one of the more famous ones, and I actually think a couple of the letters that the FBI hasn't even released to the public yet. I think this one's a Nevada one, uh, the Reno one, but I'm not entirely sure. It okay. reads, Sirs, I knew from the start that I wouldn't be caught. I didn't rob Northwest Orient because I thought it would be romantic, heroic, or any of the other euphemisms that seem to attach themselves to situations of high risk. I'm no modern-day Robin Hood. Unfortunately, do have only 14 months to live. My life has been one of hate, turmoil, hunger, and more hate. This seemed to be the fastest and most profitable way to gain a few fast grains of peace of mind. I don't blame people for hating me for what I've done, nor do I blame anybody for wanting me to be caught and punished, though this can never happen. Here are some, not all, of the things working against the authorities. I'm not a boasting man, I left no fingerprints, I wore a toupee, and I wore putty makeup. <laughs> They could add or subtract from the composite a hundred times and not come up with an accurate description, and we both know it. I've go I've come and gone on several airline flights already, and I'm not holed up in some obscure backwoods town. Neither am I a psychopathic killer. As a matter of fact, I've never even received a speeding ticket. Thank you for your attention, DB Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> he's flexing on these motherfuckers here. Yeah. He's got no he's got no record. <laughs> Uh, we know, we'll find out that's not true in the slightest <laughs> <laughs> Now, you might be thinking these are probably just crank letters. Like we have heard about in all sorts of true crime cases. Three of these letters were composed out of words cut out of magazines and mm. newspapers and pasted on a sheet of paper. That's why they're not uh, mm. so readable. So grammatically correct. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, he did that on them and then he wrote... Dan or D.B. Cooper on the very bottom. Nice, so that's how nice. they know it was him. 
So when he wrote D.B. Cooper on the bottom, it matched how Dan Cooper's handwriting was on the plane ticket voucher. That's how they're pretty certain it was him writing the letters because he almost writes in all capitals. Big block letters. Yeah, Yeah. and he writes like a little kid kind of. Gotcha. So Like uh, the guy from uh, The Jinx. I don't know if I've ever seen The Jinx. You should watch that about Bobby Durst. Okay, HBO. yes, I need to watch that. Yeah, yeah I thought you were talking it. about the Pokemon. Hmm, racist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the Portland and Vancouver letters were posted with a rubber stamp that was specific to those cities, meaning whoever mailed them had to be in those cities when they were mailed. The two letters in Reno were sent from Northern California. Once we start to dive into the life of the individual that I believe is the real D.B. Cooper, we will learn that between the time just prior to the hijacking and the time afterwards, he owned a private Cessna plane, which made it real easy for him to travel to Portland, to Vancouver, then to Northern Northern California in quick succession. Just scoot up and down that left coast, man. Not to mention, once he gets into the mountains, he gets in his plane, gets the hell out of there. Fucking so good. So you'll find out there's too many coincidences connecting this guy Brilliant. and his fucking plane not to be D.B. Cooper. Brilliant. But uh, before I re- reveal the names of the mysterious man, why don't we talk about a few more of the popular theories about who some people believe the true identity of D.B. Cooper is. We'll start off with number one, Mr. John List. One of the first suspects ever in the case was a man named John List who is a World War II and Korean War veteran. In 1971, John List murdered his wife, his three teenage children, and his 85-year-old mother a mere 15 days before the Cooper hijacking. Hmm. Now, what loosely linked him to D.B. Cooper was that it just so happened that he withdrew $200,000 from his mother's bank account and then completely disappeared this was like the FBI's first guy. Sure. This wasn't yeah. the public's first guy. This was sure. like the FBI's first because, guy. Because only because of the 200000 Right. That's the only thing that matched up that they were And like, the time frame. Yeah. yeah, and the time frame. But he didn't seem like he had killed his wife and three children and 85-year-old mother. He was just sitting there smoking some rallies. No, no. I, I don't know why they linked this guy, but they linked him there. Now, yeah. After this, John List lived for the next 17 years under an alias until finally being captured in 18 or 1989. While John List uh, fully confessed to the murder of his family, he was adamant that he had no involvement in the Cooper hijacking. Wow. So if you're getting arrested for, I don't know, five murders, I think you might just say you're the hijacker too, right? And not to mention, it's 1989. He's a World War II and Korea vet, so he's yeah. old. He's yeah. not He's not a spring chicken. You would say that you were D.B. Cooper if, mm. if you were him. Now, our next man is William Pratt Gossett. Uh, a gentleman by the name of William Pratt Gossett mm. was, in, was a Marine Corps, Air Army, and Army Air Force veteran who saw action in Korea and Vietnam. His military experience included advanced jump training and wilderness survival. What linked him to D.B. Cooper was that he apparently told his sons that he had a key to a safety deposit box in Vancouver, British Columbia, that contained ransom money. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, <Big> boast. <laughs> now, his sons also claimed that their father at one point confessed to being D.B. Cooper, but when that information was brought to the FBI, there wasn't a single shred of evidence linking Pratt 
to D.B. Cooper. I mean, so, that's, that's the guy I would say. Advanced jump training, but he was probably just trying to be a, a, a cool dad. Yeah, I think yeah. he's just like... I want my my kids to think I'm cool. Yeah, like really, like I don't know. All dads do it. It's right. it's part of the contract. So he actually confessed, like just out of the blue, to the FBI that he was DB Cooper. No, he told his kids, and after he died, his kids came forward. Oh, gotcha. And they're like, our dad's DB Cooper. Like, yeah, my dad's Dan Marino too. <laughs> well, well hey. it could be, could be. He <laughs> has a lot awesome. of mystery families. Yeah. So the FBI told those kids, hey, congratulations, you're the hundredth pair of idiots to come in here claiming their dad was D.B. fucking Cooper. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Lynn Doyle Cooper. Uh, in, in 2011, a woman by the name of Marla Wynn Cooper came forward claiming that uh, she believed her late uncle, Lynn Doyle Cooper, may have actually been the hijacker of Northwest Flight 305. Marla stated that her uncle Lin was a Korean War veteran. Now, obviously, looking at the fact that her and her uncle's last name was Cooper links them to D.B. Cooper. Mm. But Marla claims that she believes her uncle actually got the name Dan Cooper from a 1960s comic book. Hmm. Dan Cooper, also known as Les Aventres de Dan Cooper... Is a friend. I don't know. Can you say that in French? Well, it's it's lay. Lay, yeah. <laughs> That's just from from Jump Street. I'm I'm shaking my head over here. <laughs> Les Adventures. This is a porno comic. <laughs> hey, yeah, uh, it is a uh, Franco-Belgian comic series with a fictional Canadian military flight uh, flying ace and a rocket ship pilot. Uh, though Whoa. both of those things will get you laid, I promise you. That's awesome. Uh, but Marla's theory was pretty much shot down because Lynn Doyle's Cooper's DNA did not match the partial DNA profile obtained from the hijackers' ties uh, that had been in evidence uh, since 1971. Sure. So yeah. that was thrown out. Now, Richard Floyd McCoy Jr., I think this is the one, Phil, you have probably heard about before. This was a very popular theory for a long time that it was this guy. Dick Floyd McCoy. Mm. Uh, in 1991, former FBI agent Russell Calmy uh, and Bernie Rhodes, a fe- uh, former federal prohibition... Prohibition. <laughs> a former federal probation I'm officer... I'm 8,000 years old. <laughs> I'm the oldest prohibition officer in the world. Are you after my gin and rum, please, bitch? I once sucked off Herbert Hoover. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyway, that was the president. No, what what, what movie was that? Uh, Hoover. Someone sucked off J. Edgar Hoover. J. Edgar Hoover. J. Edgar, J. Edgar is yeah. the movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> he was wearing dresses and that's yeah. so good. I would say, what's his movie? J- uh, Dear John Woo. Dear remember, John Woo. You remember that? It had Woody Harrelson, Wesley Snipes, and White Men Can't Jump. <laughs> I think it had the three of them, and they dressed as ladies. Huh. I, I think it was D- Dear John Woo or something what? like that. I, anyway, Jesus. Anyway, I don't know where we're off topic. Well, anyway, who cares? He was a former federal probation officer who wrote a book called D.B. Cooper, The Real McCoy. <laughs> now, in this book, they were certain that a gentleman by the name of Richard Floyd McCoy Jr. was, in fact, D.B. Cooper. <laughs> now, I'll give them some credit because this guy does... Kind of make you wonder. And he has an uh, the perfect name, the real McCoy. He should have been a porn. Perfect. He should have been a porn star. If I'm being honest. Yeah. With you. 
McCoy was born December 7, 1942 in the town of Kinston, North Carolina and grew up in nearby Cove City. In 1962, McCoy moved to Provo, Utah and enrolled at BYU, <laughs> Brigham Young University. Ah, I love Hell it. yes. Love it. He hated fun. Yes. <laughs> that shit. Get me out of Jersey. I hate fucking. <laughs> Gone. Uh, before dropping out to serve a two-year tour, tour of duty in the Army, he served in Vietnam as a demolition expert and pilot. Hmm. In 1965, McCoy returned to BYU where he met Carol or Karen Burns. They married in August 1965 in Raleigh, North Carolina. Mm. By 1971, they had two children, Chanty, Chanty maybe, and Richard McCoy. Mm. Dick McCoy here. <laughs> International car salesman, Dick McCoy. Now, for the biggest connection between McCoy and Cooper was on April 7th, 1972, McCoy boarded United Airlines Flight 855, a Boeing 727-22C that was en en route from Newark, New Jersey to Los Angeles, California, with 85 passengers and a crew of six piloted by Captain Jerry Hearn. Hmm. McCoy was using the alias James Johnson. McCoy brought with him a toy grenade and an empty pistol demanding... $500,000 and parachutes, Mm -hmm. just like D.B. Cooper did. After receiving the ransom demands, McCoy then jumped out of the plane via the aft stairs exactly like Cooper did. They would later find out that McCoy had hitchhiked to to a nearby fast food restaurant. Now the man who gave him the ride claimed that he was wearing a jumpsuit (laughs) and carrying the duffel bag. (laughs) And his hair was all fucked up. Yeah, like, here's the thing. Like, this happened, let's see, many, uh, I think it's like four or five months after Cooper did it. So he's clearly a copycat, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. He knew it would work. Yeah. That's crazy. Now, two days after the hijacking, McCoy was actually assisting the government by flying a helicopter for the National Guard searching for the hijacker. I love it. That is badass right there. Oh, that's so good. (laughs) Now, after examining the fingerprints and handwriting, the FBI quickly figured out it was McCoy who was the hijacker. And when he was arrested, they found a jumpsuit, a duffel bag, and $499,970 in McCoy's home. I don't know. He must have went on a $30 spending (laughs) That's it? That's all he could spend was $30? He hit the dollar menu, baby. (laughs) Give me 30 McChickens. God (laughs) damn God damn it, McCoy. I'm just like, he had two days and he spent $30? God, yeah, probably he gave 20 to the hitchhiker and bought 10 McChickens. (laughs) (laughs) No, he just jerked off the hitchhiker, clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Or no, he was the hitchhiker. What do they call the person who picks up the hitchhiker? Hitchhike-y? I don't know. I don't know. The John. The John. (laughs) There you go. Uh, He was then sentenced to 45 years in prison, but in 1974, he had managed to escape. With his access to the prison's dental office, McCoy had apparently crafted a fake pistol out of dental paste. Wow. Then he and three other prisoners held the gar- garbage man up and forced him to crash through the main gate of the prison in a daring escape. Oh, that is <laughs> nice. awesome. Oh my! What is he, Grand Theft Auto? What's going on? Well, how here? do you make a gun out of toothpaste? Oh, I don't know. It's amazing. A though. plausible that's, fake gun out of dental paste. That's so much like that Dillinger escape. 
like that starts off the the movie, the oh, Dillinger movie, yeah. oh. where they have the wooden gun that they made in shop class. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, what does he tell him? I have an albino gun. Is that like this is a rare <laughs> albino gun? You better not mess with it. It's like the golden gun on <laughs> yeah. sixty four. One shot, one kill. <laughs> I made this baby with a three D printer. Don't fuck with me. Now, three months later, on November 9th, 1974, they had located McCoy in Virginia Beach. When McCoy walked through his front door, the FBI was waiting for him. He pulled a gun out and opened fire, which caused the FBI agents to fire back, killing Richard Floyd McCoy Jr. Now, the story of McCoy and his semi-successful hijacking of a plane similar to D.B. Cooper really makes you wonder, but I believe that McCoy was nothing more than a copycat that committed his hijacking roughly, I was wrong, six months after D.B. Cooper. Mm -hmm. Now, while if you look through the right lens of any of these gentlemen, you could convince yourself maybe they are actually the real D.B. Cooper. But the gentleman we are going to be talking about on the following episodes and his connection to D.B. Cooper is going to blow your mind. Mm. The man I've been dancing around this entire episode is actually named Robert... Wesley Bob Rack Straw. Whoa. It's a strong name. That uh Bob Rackstraw. That have you ever heard someone named Rack Straw? Never. He looks like he smokes chewed up cigars. Well, he apparently smokes Raleigh cigarettes, so <laughs> I wish they still made him. I kinda wanna taste one. Yeah. Even though I don't smoke. Anyway, and over the next few weeks we will dive deep into this crazy ass dude's life. And as I told Adam he might even earn a spot or at least an honorable mention on the Mount Rushmore of con men. Oh, he could be the, uh, the Native American guy they have over by the Mount Rushmore. What's his? Crazy Sid- Horse. Crazy Horse. He could, could be, be the crazy horse in our little Monument Valley. He, I, Man, I can't wait till we get into his life because he is just, he's one of those people who's so smart. That they, he can just, like, trick anybody to do anything that he wants. That's Incredible. Like, that's, like, his personality, but he's... Adam's going to be laughing, I can tell you that. A little pon- I, You yeah. know I love the con men. You know <laughs> yeah. I love the ponzies of the world. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, what do you guys think? Do you think um, any of the four that I talked about could be D.B. Cooper? Is there not enough linking them? The last guy was definitely just a copycat. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did everything kind of the same, but just a little bit... Fuck, more fucked up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, didn't quite pull it off the same. And the See, prison escape is cool. Yeah, that, that was that sweet. is awesome. Well, I I think it was Kelly. I should have written it in there. Our researchers listen. She told me that after DB Cooper, I believe there had been sixteen other attempted copycat plane hitch hitch hijack. Hitch hijacking. God damn it! Hitchhiking. See, had his thumb up. <laughs> Turn this plane around now. I have a bomb. I've got a bomb in my thumb. Turn it over. But yeah, so you can tell because he got $200,000. A lot of people are going to try to copy what he fucking did. Sure, that's an easy day's work. So yeah, uh, Bob Rackstraw is going to be a fucked up man and we're going to talk all about him. Honestly, the guy or the the most I've ever heard about this story is him dying when he jumps out the plane. That's really... I didn't know it went any deeper than that. The The thing is that I think unless you really knew what the fuck you were doing, you were going to die there. Because Truly. if you if you land wrong, you hit a rock, you do anything you get like caught that. up in a pine tree or yeah. anything. 
Yeah. You're you're fucked. I mean, yeah, you don't want to become a Christmas ornament in the Oregon mountains. Uh-uh. There, you're just gonna uh-uh. be hanging there waiting for a bear to eat with you, like <laughs> eat, waiting for a bear to eat you, drag Dude, you down. The oh. thing is, we're gonna talk a lot about it next week. But Mister Rackstraw was in this area. He had his own Cessna plane, and he had been scouting this particular region of Oregon for months on end. So. Sure. It's very apparent that he was he knew what the fuck he was doing. Sure. Yeah, so fuck. I love you, it. You're gonna be blown away by this man's life, I promise you. The book is fantastic. Honestly, I had to skim a lot of it, but of if, course. if you want to get like front to back, buy the book. It is really good. It's like really good. I couldn't put it down. It's really okay. good. Okay. Amazing. Really good. What's really it called? <laughs> I gotta look it back up. I close it. It's like how he outsmart did the FBI. Well, you'll put it in the description. Yeah, I'll put it in there. That's uh, good. That's good. great. This is fucking great. Now, the question here that I've been thinking, are you going to call in, Phil, for the next two episodes? Uh, yeah, I can do that. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. Unless the FBI gets him. We need, yes, yes. Unless he D.B. Coopers himself on his way back home. <laughs> don't say shit about that. I don't want to stop oh, security. Shit, yeah. yeah, I was like, when did they fucking baton his ass when he's trying to go home? Like, dude, I got work tomorrow. Come on. I, honestly, I don't think they give a fuck about security anymore. It's all just fucking COVID. Like... Just as long as you're wearing a mask, wave them through, boys. Just mm. get them out of here. Dude, cough. Make sure they don't cough on us. Move dude, them through. Phil, that'd be so funny if you went, You had a full black suit. You had the wraparound Oakley black sunglasses. You had a briefcase. You're just chain smoking as you go in. And you're like, I want a ticket to Seattle and Portland. Like, sir, this is Minneapolis. You, you could, no, I want a ticket from Seattle to Portland. You could show them the fake bomb you have in your briefcase, and they would be more pissed about the cigarette in your mouth. Get that. This is Minneapolis. God damn it. Get that fuck. Fucking cigarette out of your mouth. <laughs> yeah, why don't they add more smoking pits to airports? Right. Like, come on. It it's should be required by law to have yeah. a smoking area in your airport. Right. True. Right. Right. True. Get it. Shreveport, fucking Mississippi. They have a fucking room. Like, it has ventilation. It has everything. You look up at the ceiling tiles. They are fucking, like... Orange, dripping. orange, orange. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dripping with tar. Oh. Yeah. I didn't even know they had flying technology in Shreveport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Well, great job, Cody. Thank I'm, you. I'm a big fan. If you, if everybody else out there thought they they liked it too, they can email me at bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. What's that, Adam? Bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. As always, follow us on Twitter at bumblebuttpod, Facebook and Instagram, bumblebuttpodcast. And you can... Uh, smash that follow button on spotify i got it right this time didn't i oh yes please do and uh even the more important thing that you can do which it's not more important but it's fun you can leave us an itunes review cody did we get any we did we got i believe two one or two more one written i know for sure though i love getting written reviews (laughs) uh it says i love bumblebutt by kaylee rose 96 uh murder and such brought me here and i'm so glad i stayed the chemist- Shout out, Hunter. Yeah, thank you, Hunter. The chemistry you guys have together is amazing. Great cases and stories told in such a fun way. Can't wait to keep binging until I get to the newest episodes. Thank you for making my eight-hour work days feel like nothing. Again, we love cheering people up about their shitty work days. That's that's the plan. That's all I want. Kaylee, all I want. Kaylee you said Kaylee Rose? Kaylee Rose, yes. Thank you. Wonderful. That's Fantastic. so good. And... Another thing you need to do is go on to patreon.com slash podcast and donate heavily. This month's print, <laughs> did you get them out yet? They are all out. I'm waiting to post it on our Instagram until I make sure everybody has theirs. 
But then once I do, the special Jordan print is amazing. You're going to need re- to. I've gotten responses about it. so You're going to need it. Mm. You're going to need to have it. Mm. Get on the $15 a month pledge, even for just this month, just to get this goddamn print. It is spectacular. I've got to say, I was given an early release of it, and it is it yeah. is wonderful. Someone, You're going to some, love it. Someone actually asked me how the hell I made it, and I said, you know what? It was great. It's, it's top secret. <laughs> it's top secret, like the Boeing yeah. 727. I've been all about that Photoshop life this week, so... Are you using Photoshop or using, like, GIMP or something? I'm using Krita. <laughs> Krita? Okay. What the hell is GIMP? GIMP? Yeah, that was a, that was a Mac-based one. That mm. was, like, a Mac-based Photoshop. No, I've been using Krita, uh, and it works pretty good. Krita. Oh, the Krita. free one. Yeah, the free one. Gotcha. Made Excellent. all our shit off. Well, hey, Krita your way into our Patreon. Do that Please and do. listen to us always and buy shirt, as always. Uh, pretty soon we got some exciting stuff in the works. We will. We uh, do. We will let you know when we know. Just kidding. We already know. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure anymore. You'll know once we release it. That's it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's gonna do it for all of us here at the Bubble Bub Podcast. Uh, I've been Adam. That has been Phil. Subliminal Deception. Phil. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Adam. We will see you next week. I will. Cody. Thank you, Cody. Thank you, Adam. All right, everybody. Have a nice weekend. Unless it's Tuesday. <laughs>